Book Two, Chapter Five of The Mermaid. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Mermaid, by Lily Dougal, Chapter Five, Devilry. When the cart and its little company had travelled for almost another hour, a dark object in the midst of the line of foam caught their sight. It was the boy who first saw it, and he suddenly leaned forward, clutching O'Shea's arm as if in fear. The man looked steadily. "'She's come in since we passed here before.' The boy apparently said something, although Caius could not catch the voice. "'No,' said O'Shea. "'There's cargo aboard of her yet, but the men are off of her.' It was a black ship, that sailless and with masts pitifully aslant, was fixed on the sand among the surf, and the movement of the water made her appear to labour forward, as if in dying throes, making effort to reach the shore. The boy seemed to scan the prospect before him, now far more eagerly than before, but the wreck, which was, as O'Shea said, deserted, seemed to be the only external object in all that gleaming waste. They passed on, drawing up for a minute near her at the boy's instigation, and scanning her decks narrowly as they were washed by the waves. But there was no sign of life. Before they had gone further, Caius caught sight of the dark outline of another wreck. But this one was evidently of some weeks standing, for the masts were gone, and the hulk half-broken through. There was still another further out. The mere repetition of the sad story had effect to make the scene seem more desolate. It seemed as if the sands, on which they trod, must be strewed with the bleached skeletons of sailors, and as if they embedded newly buried corpses in their breast. The sand-hills here were higher than they had been before, and there were openings between them as if passages led to the interior valleys, so that Caius supposed that here in storms or in flood-tides the waves might enter into the heart of the dune. They had not travelled far beyond the first and nearest wreck, when the monotony of their journey was broken by a sudden strange excitement which seized on them all, and which Caius, although he felt it, did not at once understand. The pony was jerked back by the reins which O'Shea held, then turned staggering inland, and lashed forward by the whip used for the first time that day. Caius jerked against the side of the cart, lifted up a bruised head, gazing in wonder to see nothing in the path but he saw that the boy had sprung lightly from the cart, and was standing higher up on the sand, his whole attitude betraying alarm as he gazed searchingly at the ground. In a moment the pony reared and plunged, and then uttered a cry almost human in its fear. Then came the sensation of sinking, sinking with the very earth itself. O'Shea had jumped from the cart and cut the traces. Caius was springing out, and felt his spring guided by a hand upon his arm. He could not have believed that the boy had so much strength, yet with a motion too quick for explaining words, he was guided to a certain part of the sand, pushed aside like a child to be safe, while the boy with his next agile movement tugged at the portmanteaus that contained the medical stores and flung them at Caius's feet. It was a quicksand. The pony cried again, cried to them for help. Caius next found himself with O'Shea holding the creature's head, and aiding its mad plunging even while his own feet sank deeper and deeper. There was a moment when they all three plunged forward together, and then the pony threw itself upon its side, 
by some wild effort extricating its feet, and Caius, prone upon the quivering head, rolled himself and dragged it forward. Then he felt strong hands lifting him and the horse together. What seemed strangest to Caius, when he could look about and think, was that he had now four companions, the boy, O'Shea, and two other men, coated and muffled, and that the four were all talking together eagerly in a language of which he did not understand a word. He shook the wet sand from his clothes. His legs and arms were wet. The pony stood in an entrance to a gap in the sand-hills, quivering and gasping, but safe, albeit with one leg hurt. The cart had sunk down till its flat bottom lay on the top of the quicksand, and there appeared to float, for it sunk no further. A white cloud that had winged its way up from the southwest now drifted over the moon, and became black except at its edges. The world grew much darker, and it seemed colder, if that were possible. It soon occurred to Caius that the two men now added to their party had either met O'Shea by appointment, or had been lying in wait for the cart, knowing that the quicksand was also waiting to engulf it. It appeared to him that their motives must be evil, and he was not slow to suspect O'Shea of being in some plot with them. He had, of course, money upon him, enough certainly to attract the cupidity of men who could seldom handle money, and the medical stores were also convertible into money. It struck him now how rash he had been to come upon this lonely drive without any assurance of O'Shea's respectability. These thoughts came to him because he almost immediately perceived that he was the subject of conversation. It seemed odd to stand so near them, and not understand a word they said. He heard enough now to know the language they were speaking was the patois that, in those parts, is the descendant of the Jersey French. These men, then, were Acadians, the boy also, for he gabbled freely to them. Either they had sinister designs on him, or he was an obstruction to some purpose that they wished to accomplish. This was evident now from their tones and gestures. They were talking most vehemently about him, especially the boy and O'Shea, and it was evident that these two disagreed, or at least could not for some time agree, as to what was to be his fate. Caius was defenceless, for so peaceful was the country to which he was accustomed that he carried no weapon. He took his present danger little to heart. There was a strange buoyancy, born, no doubt, of the bracing wind in his spirit. If they were going to kill him, well, he would die hard. And a man can but die once. A laugh arose from the men. It sounded to him as strange a sound for the time and place as the almost human cry of the horse a few minutes before. Then O'Shea came towards him, with menacing gestures. The two men went back into the gap of the sand-hills, from whence they must have come. "'Look here,' said O'Shea roughly. "'Do you value your life?' "'Certainly.' Caius folded his arms, and made this answer with well-bred contempt. "'And ye shall have your life. But on one condition. Take out of your bag what's needed for dealing with the sick this night.' for there's a dying man you must visit before you sleep. And the condition is that you walk on to the cloud by yourself on this beach, without once looking behind you. Mind what I say. Ye shall go free, yourself, your money, and your medicines, if you walk from here to the second house that is a lighthouse, without once turning your head or looking behind you. He pointed to the bags with a gesture of rude authority. Take out what you need, and be gone. 
"'I shall do nothing of the sort,' replied Caius, his arms still folded. The boy had come near enough to hear what was said, but he did not interfere. "'And why not?' asked O'Shea, a jeer in his tones. "'Because I would not trust one of you not to kill me as soon as my back was turned. "'And if your back isn't turned, and that pretty quick, too, you'll not live many hours.' I prefer to die looking death in the face, but it'll be hard for the man who attempts to touch me." "'Oh, you think you'll fight for it, do you?' asked O'Shea lightly. "'But ye're mistaken there. The death you shall die will admit of no fighting on your part.' There is something more in all this business than I understand. Apart from the question whether he should die or live, Caius was puzzled to understand why his enemies had themselves fallen foul of the quicksand or what connection the accident could have with the attack upon his life. "'There was more in this than I understand,' he repeated loudly. "'Just so,' replied O'Shea, imperturbable. "'There is more than ye can understand, and I offer ye a free passage to a safe place. Haven't ye wits enough about ye to take it and be thankful?' "'I will not turn my back,' Caius reiterated his defiance. "'And you'll strike out with your fist at whatever comes to harm you? "'Will you hit in the face of the frost and the wind "'if you're left here to perish by cold, "'with your clothes wet as they are? "'Or perhaps you'll come to blows with the quicksand "'if half a dozen of us should throw you in there?' "'There are not half a dozen of you,' he replied scornfully. "'Come and see.' O'Shea did not offer to touch him, "'but he began to walk towards the opening in the dune, and dragged Caius after him by mere force of words. Come and see for yourself. What are you afraid of, man? Come. If you want to look death in the face, come and see what it is you've got to look at. Caius followed reluctantly, keeping his own distance. O'Shea passed the shivering pony, and went into the opening of the dune, which was now all in shadow because of the black cloud in the sky. Inside was a small valley. Its sandbanks might have been made of bleached bones. They looked so gray and dead. Just within the opening was an unexpected sight. A row of hooded and muffled figures stood upright in the sand. There was something appalling in the sight to Caius. Each man was placed at exactly the same distance from his fellow. They seemed to stand with heads bowed and hands clasped in front of their breasts. Faces and hands like their forms were hooded and muffled. Caius did not think or analyze his emotion, no doubt the regular file of the men suggesting discipline which has such horrible force for weal or woe, and their attitudes suggesting motives and thoughts of which he could form not the faintest explanation, were the two elements which made the scene fearful to him. O'Shea stopped a few paces from the nearest figure, and Caius stopped a few paces nearer the opening of the dune. "'You see these men?' said O'Shea. Caius did not answer. O'Shea raised his voice. "'I say before them what I have said, that if ye'll swear here before heaven as a man of honour, that ye'll walk from here to the loit house on the cloud, which ye shall find in the straight loin of the beach, without once turning your head, or looking behind ye, neither man nor beast nor devil shall do ye any hurt, and your property shall be returned to ye, when a cart can be got to take them. Will ye swear?" Caius made no answer. He was looking intently. As soon as the tones of O'Shea's voice were carried away by the bluster of the wind, 
as far as the human beings there were concerned there was perfect stillness the surf and the wind might have been sweeping the dunes alone and if i will not swear asked caius in a voice that was loud enough to reach to the last man in the long single rank o'shea stepped nearer him and as if in pretense of wiping his face with his gloved hand he sent him a hissing whisper that gave a sudden change of friendliness and confidence to his voice don't be a fool swear it are these men or are they corpses asked caius the stillness of the forms before him became an almost unendurable spectacle he had no sooner spoken than o'shea appealed to the men shouting words in the queer guttural french and caius saw the first man slowly raise his hand as if in an attitude of oath-taking and the second man did likewise o'shea turned round and faced him speaking hastily the shadow of the cloud was sending dark shudderings of lighter and darker shades across the sand hollow and these seemed almost like a visible body of the wind that with searching blast drifted loose sand upon them all with the sweep of the shadow and the wind caius saw the movement of the lifted hand go down the line i lay my life upon it said o'shea that if you'll say on your honour as a man and as a gentleman that ye'll not look behind ye you shall go scot-free it's a simple thing enough what harm's there in it the boy had come near behind caius he said one soft word promise or else caius imagined he said it caius knew at least what the boy wished him to do the pony moved nearer shivering with cold and caius realized that the condition of wet and cold in which they were need not be prolonged i promise he shouted angrily and i'll keep the promise whatever infernal reason there may be for it but if i'm attacked from behind he added threats loud and violent for he was very angry before he had finished speaking the thought might have been brought by some movement in the shadow of the cloud and by the sound of the wind or by his heated brain but the thought came to him that o'shea under his big fur coat had indulged in strange harsh laughter caius cared nothing he had made his decision he had given his word he had no thought now but to take what of his traps he could carry and be gone on his journey end of book two chapter five recording by bill borst